0: Hi, and welcome back to the How to Decorate podcast from Ballard Designs. We want to teach you how to decorate your home and unleash your inner decorator. So we'll be interviewing interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world, sharing the trials and triumphs of our own homes, and also answering your decorating questions. I'm Caroline. I run the Ballard Designs blog, How to Decorate. And I'm Karen. I head up branding at Ballard. We're your hosts. nice Taryn is stuck in a doctor's appointment, so she's going to be late, but hopefully she'll pop in here towards the end. Okay. <laughs>
1: Let's do some trials and France Oh, good. Okay. Oh, I have mine. Did Go. I tell you about running into my carport? with my car Um, (laughs) no no definitely was backing out and it's a carport but i have to back out and then turn around anyway there's one corner that's a metal it's a metal pole that's sitting on literally these bricks it's really structurally sound (laughs) and the gutter is also there's a gutter on it anyway i'm backing out and i swing my big old car around like it's mbd all the time and definitely elliot made a choke noise in the back seat and my like I didn't stop driving, but I threw my head around. Anyway, definitely wedged myself up against the pole. Could not back up, couldn't go forward without like literally I'm I have I've killed the gutter. Scratched my car to hell.
0: <laughs> oh no. And knocked and this is a relatively the... new car.
1: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And the bricks under the metal pole. Oh, no. The top one kind of came out. And that's the whole corner of the yeah, carport. Yeah, you're like, knocked the carport. Over. So I didn't touch it. I just left it. So now, like, when you go by the corner of my house, because Dave didn't touch it either. He looked at it. He was like, I was like, I'm not fixing it. you fixing it. I'm not touching it. I'm not knocking it over. <laughs> so that was awful. This sort of goes along with your last <laughs> trial, which was
0: about how you've let your house go because you're just planning to tear it down. And so you're like, eh, we don't I'm need to do
1: anything to yard. I feel like that's yeah, happening with but the carport. But the car wasn't old. So that part's a negative. <laughs> um, and my triumph is I've been using this. I have uh, this cleaner. Um that I've been making with essential oils. Who are you, Joanna Gaines? Listen, I can't do it all. (laughs) But I have been doing this, and I love it because I've been using it a lot because- Okay, what's it? Yeah, what is it? Where'd you find it? I found it online. We can definitely attach to it if you guys want to try like a more natural cleaning route. It's just an all-purpose cleaner one, but it has for the oils, it's eucalyptus, peppermint, and lemon. Yeah. Yum. And yummy. the peppermint is just so bright and clean. And when you're trying to clean something, it's such a fresh, nice, clean smell. Mm. So is this three different cleaners Sounds or like one it. cleaner? Those oil. are all the essential oils that are in this one oh, cleaner. And so one. Okay. the smell. I was trying to describe the smell. Because other than that, it's literally like hydrogen peroxide, a all-purpose clean uh the I can tell you what kind of soap but of course it can't because we're recording um, and then like distilled water so it's very very simple huh, but it's cool. like I love it and it seems to really like actually work too I haven't like you know it's never going to be bleach it's not as great as vinegar but for like an all purpose cleaner yeah. I like wipe down the high chair oh, and my surfaces good. and it makes everything smell so Which great That's what I like yeah. so yeah. if you want it in your life we will attach
2: cool those are mine like it done okay so uh, you know my backyard I had a new fence put in
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Did I tell you guys I had it painted black?
1: No. No? You went black. I love it. It I do love black. is
2: awesome. It's painted. What's the color? It's not stained. It's stained. It's stained. Because okay. it's way easier to maintain stain. Yeah. That's why I was questioning. It's black. But I mean, you don't have a paint color. No. No, no, but I could tell you. Okay. I mean, I'll find out and we can put in the notes. Okay. But usually anywhere you go, they only have like one black. One black yeah. stain. I'm testing all the blacks right now. So that's well. What I asked. Oh, oh, but oh it's a stain, this is exterior, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, which is different than your floor. Um it's awesome because to me the reason it's so great is because it just goes away. Yeah, it just it's almost like a big shadow, and it just goes away. All the fences in Kentucky are painted black. You know, all those horse farms and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's so beautiful. And that's sort of where I got the idea, and I love it. I didn't know. Okay, that. cool. I okay. love it. Trial dead grass. <laughs> that was my note. Dead grass. How much grass do you have left in your yard? I thought well, you were like is, half astroturfed at this point. I did. Yeah. This is the front yard. Okay. Which I've been ignoring because we've been on now. Oh, of course, my oh, focus okay. has turned.
1: <laughs> to now that the backyard is
2: done, we're back up front. Okay. Yeah. So the front yard. You
0: have a nice front yard.
2: Well, the grass, for the dead grass struggles, right? Because I have a really large tree. I think it's a, a big oak tree in my yard. And the the roots are kind of taking all the nutrients and this is what everyone who's an expert tells me, of course, Joe doesn't believe any of them. Um, <laughs> but so the, the grass can't survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of shade. It's yeah. even bigger and bigger. There's just more shade. Um, so it's dead. And I've, I've begun running. I've told you all this. I'm trying to be a runner, which I hate. But anyway, um, so I'm observing all of my neighbor's yards to try to get good ideas to enlarge my bed mm-hmm. so that I can just sort of turn the whole front yard into a bed from being grass or just mm-hmm. way less grass. Like ground cover. No, I don't want ground cover. I want it to be like a beautiful bed with plants.
0: Okay. You know?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm researching that. I'll keep you posted because I think it's easier to research on foot than driving around. It so is. I'm observing neighbor yards while I run around trying That's to get a good ideas. Idea. Yeah, because I've told you I'm sort of plant challenged. I'm not good at visualizing landscapes.
1: Those Linton roses are really. Yeah, you love those too. I love a You'll Rose. see them a lot because they're. I think they're really easy. They seem to shade like. Tolerant. Yeah, Ferns? I've seen them in the shade. Yeah, I love a fern. Ferns. Those I feel like my neighbor has a lot of, and those Linton roses that aren't. They're not like real roses. Yeah, I love the hostas. I like hostas, hostas but. Mm-hmm. They Hasta. are very appropriate. Well, I love hostas. The Jacobs cups are really pretty. The ones oh, that are yeah, kind of
2: pretty. I love those. those my neighbor big, has a bunch of those. If
1: you see them, you're always like, oh, those are pretty. They're beautiful, beautiful. for <laughs> They're Styles of those. Anyway, okay, that's, that's it. exciting. That's I like it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: my trial. Okay, <laughs> if any of y'all follow me on Instagram, then you may have seen the story that I posted. I posted some of my ideas, like where we're going with the house, but it was nothing that has been executed. It was my brainstorming, and so I. Came up with this concept for – where okay, our house only has one dining room. We don't have a breakfast and a formal. So I want to come up with a way to make my dining room look pretty enough to be our formal dining room but be like kid-proof basically. Mm -hmm. So in my brain, I found this table that's like a – it's a quartz top, so it's essentially like a countertop. It's like fully, you know, can't chip it, can't stain it, all that good stuff. So I'm like, great, that's perfect. Then I'm going to do the Blair bench from Ballard, which is sort of a – it's a dining bench, but it has a little wing on it. And I'm going to upholster that in some – I already ordered it. But then I wanted some dining chairs. And I'm very particular about dining chairs because I want them to be upholstered. Mm-hmm. I don't like wood – because I want to be able to sit for like mm-hmm. a long time, I have mm-hmm. a long, you know. But of course, <laughs> like I want to have Thanksgiving there, and like yeah. you'd be able to sit for a while, sure. you know. Sure. Um, but of course, with fabric, you've got to have something that's cleanable. So my plan when we interviewed Ashley Whitaker and y'all were here for this, she had this one image in her portfolio where she had leather dining chairs with like a um, pattern on the back. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, this is perfect. I can do a wipeable performance leather on the inside and then have fabric on the back. Mm -hmm. So I posted this whole kind of scheme on my Instagram and I put a note in it that said, fellow moms out there, is this enough kid-proofing kid proofing for my kid yeah thinking in my head everyone's gonna say yes because yeah. this is genius right right
2: right um 40 of people said no what do they want you to do <laughs> cover them in I was saran like, wrap well, dang it i thought that i would like thought all these things through are they worried about the rug
0: what is well it? basically they maybe were saying, their kids are
1: worse than your kid will be That's ba- true.
0: basically they were saying that the inset like the fabric the decorative fabric that i was going to put on the back uh-huh because it was facing
1: out, like she's gonna stick her messy, gross fingers in that. Mm-mm. Not if you don't let her out of her chair with her greasy paws. Well, and teach her.
0: Like, yeah, you teach her. Well,
1: and so oh. and then anyway, so that's and yeah. then. But, but then you were some still We're like, no, do it anyway. Like,
0: it's worth it. Maybe your kid isn't as messy as some kids. Like, you have a girl, you have a boy. Then I had mm-hmm. several people that were like, just Scotch guard the hell out of it and call it a day. Yeah. Also, in my head, I'm thinking this has a pattern on it. It's like kind of a. Busy pattern. Yeah. There are lots of colors, lots so of they little. Cover up a lot of. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I feel like you know, if she's got ketchup on her fingers, like it might not be all that
1: noticeable, right? So, you know, I what think I'm going to The that the people say they spray. They take their yeah, sofas to be sprayed. No, oh, were well, you get it treated?
2: Like, but it's you, just like literally an
1: oval. Like, yeah, well, that's what. But I was thinking head. she could literally take that one sheet, that yard of fabric, and be like, "Do your treatment on this, oh, get it and treated. then and then send yeah. it." I I posted some of the responses yeah. from
0: people because yeah. like. But I was like, dang it. Mm-hmm. I thought that I had planned out all of this in my head. It was going to eh, be eh. genius. And everyone just squashed my dreams. But I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. rebel, You're yeah. a rebel. Well, life is too short. That's right. And nothing is going to last forever. And, you know, worst case scenario is we I can... We those in 10 years. Yeah. Or less. Yeah. And I'm just going to get some Scotchgard and, like, spray the hell out of it. We. Oui. So that is my trial. Yes. My triumph is that I just... Spent a fortune on Ballard, and I'm so excited about all my things that are coming.
1: But
2: I like that that's a try. get the Ballard credit <laughs> Most people card? people be like, jeez. I didn't have the Ballard Why credit card. Why didn't you get the Ballard credit card? Just, you get all the rewards. I know. I w- I'll get there eventually. Oh, man. I got so many rewards when I did my basement. But
0: I, I just had to- And then to, I bought so
2: much more stuff.
0: I have to give a shout oh. out to our clearance section because- there were some good finds in there. I got some um, Miles. I got a lot of Miles Red stuff. Mm-hmm. I got two of his marble side tables that you have, and oh, I've awesome. always loved them. They're awesome. perfect. I also got his waterfall console. I'm going to put that right in my front I door. I was thinking about getting with. Um, I'm going to put, like, I'll be able to, like, tuck her yeah. car seat under there, put a little queue, oh. all this stuff. I just don't have
1: space. Well, you have to get rid of some of your stuff. Yeah. I know, but I like my stuff. Well, you can have everything, sorry. Well, sorry. Yeah. I drew all that stuff, and so it means Well, no you can money. come visit at my yeah, house. Yeah, go visit good, her house.
0: <laughs> Continue. Um, also, another amazing thing that was such a good little deal was the Suzanne Kassler Liddy that velvet bench. ottoman
2: oh the ottoman i was looking at one of her benches today
0: it's basically just a fully upholstered ottoman but then the base is gold like a brass gold oh, yeah fr- you know base and then it's sort of a gray velvet that's really pretty a gray velvet fabric on it and so i just kind of saw that. it was like a really good price plus we get a discount
3: right and a um, discount. discount
0: and I mean it's kid proof. She can like bang into it. Mm -hmm. And and so I was like, okay, I I I can do this. And then I also ordered a bed.
2: Very excited. Upholstered? Which bed?
0: What bed? It's called the Brie bed, and it has that channel back. Yeah, Mm -hmm. love the channel. And I ordered it in a deep teal felt. What? I'm so proud of you. I'm like, um, y'all, I'm like real nervous, actually. No, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be perfect. You're gonna love Um, this. Um but I need I really wanted a bed. Now that we have moved from the headboard in our our last house, we had a bed, but it's a queen and I wanted a king. So we're going to put that one in our, that's our storage bed that I love. But that's going to go in our guest room. Anyways, now that we've had a bed and not just a headboard, I don't think I can go back.
2: No, I like a bed.
0: It's really, really nice to like, I feel like with a headboard and then a bed skirt, the skirt always gets wrinkled and dust bunnies and it like shifts around and it it drives mm-hmm. me nuts. Mm-hmm. I always have hated about don't skirt. Knock
1: the skirt. Sorry, I can hide boxes under there. You can. That's true.
0: But I, love it. I really wanted Mine's to be tailored storage bed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, what else did I order? I ordered sofa, a Hartwell sofa in a sunbrella fabric, and I ordered my Blair bench from a dining room in a sunbrella fabric. So I have like been on a on a spree. Oh, I also ordered,
3: ordered oh a rug.
0: God. Um, for our it's a rug that's not out yet, but. She's going to ship it to me early. Wow. Girl. Well, I, have, I have three um, things in bound. my
2: cart, but I'm waiting for double rewards. <laughs> mm, there you go. I like your style. <laughs> you yeah, have a sofa too, so. <gasps> what sofa are you going to get? I'm getting the Susan Kassler Mathis sofa. Oh, my <laughs> God. So freaking White comfy. Sangrava, Amazing. Uh. The PK salt. <gasps> Where are you putting that? <gasps> in my living room. I'm reading my room. Remember? I need to take some before pictures of the living room before yes, any did. of this stuff arrives. Yes, you do. And then two Cooper cubes in the Kylie linen.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that this fabric good.
2: so pretty what, what are you going to do with your so old chairs funny.
0: what fabric are you going to put on
2: uh, velvet I'm doing like that. I think the dough velvet one of the velvets mm-hmm. yeah, yummy so I'll take some picks yes
1: please oh my god yes please I'm living through both of you right now <laughs> I need to redo a room just so I
2: can be in right
1: I will I'll okay. we'll kick you out you're not in the club anymore no I'm kidding okay let's get to our guests. let's do it <laughs>
0: Our guest today is architect Lee Ledbetter. Your firm, Lee Ledbetter & Associates, is based in New Orleans, and y'all specialize in clean, contemporary, rooted in history. You also have a new book from Rizzoli, The Art of Place. Thank, thank you for but coming. welcome. you're not welcome. just an
2: architect. You're also a designer, a decorator, right?
4: I am. And uh, I think that was one of the main reasons that there was interest in doing the book, on, on our work because we are architects that are equally serious about interior design, uh, and we also actually are very involved in the the gardens and the landscaping that is an extension of our of our interior rooms, our interior spaces.
2: So are you? So do you? Would you consider yourself a landscape architect as well? No, absolutely okay. not. I okay. have
4: a huge I have a huge respect for that field, but I uh, I and my associates uh, we all think very directly about the the gardens and the, mm-hmm. the outdoor spaces, if you will, around the houses as we design the houses. So when we do our initial sketches of a, of a house, whether it's a new construction or renovation, we always, for instance, show the furniture and the plans just to help oh. a client understand how the room's going to work for them, uh, how they're going to walk through a room. Also, mm-hmm. if a client sees a bed or a sofa, when they're looking at a floor plan, they immediately understand the size of the room. Mm -hmm. So it becomes Uh. a lot less abstract for them. But while we do that, we also do these scribbles. We still work by hand, by the way, in the beginning, but we do these scribbles of the exterior spaces that relate to the interior rooms. And again, in those spaces, we also draw furniture, uh, seating arrangements. Not that we're dictating something from the beginning, but again, just to get... To help them, one, understand the size and the scale of the space but, and how it might be used and, as I said, how they might walk through it, but also to get their feedback. Uh-huh. Because if we just take a stab at something, they might immediately say, oh, you know, we don't, we're don't, we not a couple that would ever sit in a bedroom. You know how a lot of people want a separate furniture for seating in a bedroom? Right. Well, some clients don't. So that's a great way of getting feedback just in our very mm-hmm. first presentation to, to make certain assumptions, not to be presumptuous, which is just, just to make assumptions that they can give us feedback on. But back to the landscape thing, we... We think a lot about uh, how we want the spaces to feel, where we want, essentially, if you can think of it as building materials, but with with plant material, like mm-hmm. I want this edge to feel like a wall. So that's obviously going to be some kind of pleached uh, hedge. Or I want this to feel more like uh, these right? you know, in a certain space, feel more like an open lawn, but maybe punctuated by sculptural elements that could be types of trees. Then we go to the landscape architect and, get their feedback on what plant material and soil conditions and all that kind of drainage and all that is going Mm -hmm. to be best in these specific places. Cause I mean, we've done this long enough that we have ideas about it, but we are not botanists. And then also finally uh, a good landscape architect is going to say, yeah, that's a good start, but, and then they're going to take it, you know, a lot further than we ever could have. Right.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, it's interesting when I was looking at um, you recently did the sculpture garden at the New Orleans museum of art and it was, I was thinking about that because, you know, I was curious how that project came together. Obviously there's architecture, landscape architecture. There was probably certain sculptures you had to incorporate. So how did all those moving parts? Where does it cut, start even? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where does it start?
4: So that's a, that's a uh, good question. And um it's a project that I'm proud of. It's a project that is actually was done in two phases so the first phase we did we started to the drawings in the late uh the late 1990s Oh um, wow there's a there's a there one of really the great sculpture uh collectors in the united states are sydney and waldo bestoff in new orleans sydney bestoff was one of the uh, owners of the k&b drugstore chain
3: mm-hmm.
4: and uh he sold the chain and uh and and had already been collecting sculpture but he and his wife waldo started collecting sculpture Avidly, and uh, they were giving pieces to the New Orleans Museum of Art. They were also populating the plaza of their building mm-hmm. you know, in downtown New Orleans with with very important pieces of sculpture. And they were like like many collectors, they loved the research, uh, they loved meeting the gallerists and the artists themselves, and they loved visiting other important collections. And they had also collected painting for a long time. But anyway, they had turned their focus to sculpture. Uh, in the in the late '90s, they they hired me to do some sketches in for a five-acre piece of land in City Park, adjacent to the New Orleans Museum of Art. It was a great, and I was I'd started my firm in '96, so this was '97. It was just a fantastic opportunity. Yeah. And Mr. Bestoff, who's a lovely man, uh, Mr. Bestoff said, uh, "Okay, I'm hiring you just for a sketch, an idea." And if I like it, we'll talk about going forward. If I don't like it, we're going to walk away friends and (laughs) and, and shake hands. And I thought that was completely fair. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of meetings, I realized that there, nothing had come up about a landscape architect. And this is a major landscape project. Right. Uh, And so I suggested that we create a short list and start interviewing landscape architects and getting their reactions to the site. We did that over a series of months. We also visited sculpture gardens all around the country with the then director of the museum, John Bullard. And um, anyway, eventually they hired a guy named Brian Sawyer of Sawyer-Burson in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian and I had actually worked together at Robert A.M. Stern's office in the okay. 90s. and uh, Actually, late 80s and the 90s. And Brian had, had experience with the Central Park Conservancy. So that was really crucial wow. to the project. We worked with the curatorial staff at the museum. We worked with the bestals very closely in locating the sculptures, and we basically redesigned uh, four and a half acres of uh, city park. What made it especially nice is that the the land that we were working with had two hundred year old live oaks in it, yeah. and, as well yeah. as mm-hmm. mature pines and magnolias. And so we were working within an existing landscape instead of one that you have to wait to grow in. Right. Um, and so anyway, years later, um, I guess in 2014, the museum approached us with Mr. Bestoff, with Mr. and Mr. Mrs. Bestoff, again, about expanding the garden to an adjacent six and a half acres. And that's a project we've just completed. The museum brought in uh, the new director, Susan Taylor, who's done extraordinary work at the museum and with programming. And other things. Anyway, Susan brought in um, Reed Hildebrand out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Doug Reed. One of the two partners is originally from Louisiana. He's from mm-hmm. Lake Charles. And uh, Doug had and they the firm had done a lot of work in the state. They are extraordinary landscape architects. Fortunately, they kept me, the architect, from the first <laughs> phase. And whereas the first the architectural elements in the first phase were really limited to bridges. Entrance pavilions, uh, a plaza, uh, fencing, things like that. In the second phase, um, our responsibility was to design a pavilion for the, um, the sculpture collection that the best offs own that cannot be exhibited outside because of the elements. And so we got about working with Reed Hilderand, who was doing the garden. Uh, we worked from the very beginning, hand in hand with him, on how to create this essentially 5,000 square foot pavilion, which I thought of from Whoa. the very beginning it's a garden folly.
0: Okay, you say pavilion. I picture like five thousand square feet. That is big.
4: Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you said that because actually, three. The gallery itself is three thousand square feet. Uh, but yeah, about two thousand square feet of it is back of house necessity
3: stuff oh, like okay.
4: receiving. Mm -hmm. uh generators mechanical rooms public restrooms this kind of stuff that you really don't want to see and that you don't want to encroach on the garden so we did this design where we created essentially what is perceived from within the garden as a garden wall and it's curved because it's on a curved edge of the site the site's completely irregular and uh and then we designed this what eventually turned into after lots of studies we came up with this elliptical pavilion in front of this curved wall behind it so that actually the only part of the building that you understand or appreciate from the garden itself from within the garden is this gallery this, mm-hmm. this elliptical form that seems to sit in front of a wall which which one thinks is the edge of the garden but in fact is hiding a lot of the space that you just that we really didn't want to so right. quote contaminate the garden mm-hmm. with so tricky. Um, yes, yeah. It's very so clever. It's unfortunately the, the that this this new ex- expansion is not in my book, but the the first phase of the garden that we completed in 2004 is in the book. So I, was, I have a question.
2: Yeah, it doesn't have to do with this garden, Lee, yeah. even though I like the garden. It has mm-hmm. to do with you. OK, so we have designers on all the time and they always talk about how important it is to work with the architect right? But we haven't had an architect on before who decided, okay, you know what, doing it all myself. Tell us the why behind that.
4: I said earlier, I made a point of saying that I have a huge appreciation for the field of landscape architecture. And I can say the same about interior design and decorating. I have a huge respect for interior design and, and good decorators. And I'm friends with many of them. What happened was early on in my 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 my, my, my practice when I moved to New Orleans, I uh, we did a we did a house, a couple of houses, where we we slaved for <laughs> slaved for like a year and a half, two years on these projects. Because, I mean, it's a commitment uh, on our part as well. We spend almost a year drawing a project, and then we spend a year to a year and a half building a project. Not that we build it, but working with the contractors and the owners. And, and then there were one or two cases where an interior designer came behind us. And I didn't like the way that the houses were furnished, mm-hmm. um, and in some cases the lighting was done. Now we are very we we want to do the lighting in a project. It's one of the most important parts of a project for us. And we've worked with some great lighting designers, and we've we've learned a lot about how to do it. Uh, and we've also worked with a lot of art collectors, and as I talked about earlier, the museum and some art galleries. We've done a lot of art-centric spaces, so lighting has been extremely important. But anyway. In one project in particular, uh, the interior designer took over the lighting part of the project at the owner's request, and uh, I visited the project later and wasn't happy with it. So at that point, I just said to myself, I can't let another one of these, quote, children, I can't lose another one of these children because these projects become so personal. We're a small office. We're seven people. At the most, we're 12 or 13, but um, we're hands-on. The projects are extremely personal to us. We are, in our minds, our, our aspiration is to create art. And by art, I mean the architecture and, the, and, and these environments. And that's why the book is called The Art of Place. Right. And so we started doing it ourselves. Not always. I'm still very, very happy to work with a good decorator. Oh, okay. So if I know that if a client comes to me, and doesn't know who they're going to use, or and, but is not interested in working with us. But also doesn't know who they're going to use. I usually don't take the project. If they come to me and they're working with a, a decorator who, whom I respect, I'm I'm fully on board and happy. In fact, I love the collaborative collaborative aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but often we have done it ourselves with the clients, and we've developed a reputation for I think doing it well. And so and we we really love it. I mean, I love the I love the decorating aspect of it as much as the architecture. And that's that was one thing that interested um, I think my publisher Rizzoli because traditionally architects have really turned their noses up at the field of interior design. I mean, Frank Lloyd Wright famously uh, referred to decorating and I think a specific decorator as. An inferior desecrator. So, um, <laughs> uh, and but the other thing is, when I was out of school, first out of school, and I was working for a number of architects uh, who did rather modern work, uh, Gwathmi Siegel and others. The it seemed like, and not just their work, but a lot of architects of the time, the interiors were always filled with the same pieces of furniture, and they were mm-hmm. almost always in black leather and polished stainless or chrome, and it was, it was. Every interior looked the same and mm-hmm. maybe you'd see a, a Hoffman piece, you know, an they Austrian don't want to
2: distract from their beautiful piece. rooms, right?
4: Yeah, but why not compliment them? I feel <laughs> exactly. I've, I've, Yeah, I felt I felt like they were missing out on a on a whole repertoire that they that could be that could be considered and and the other thing is one thing I love about doing the interiors is I love working with what an owner brings to the client. Yeah. I love working with somebody's collection of, in one case, toys, so, you know, antique lead soldiers um, or, a, or a chair that had a specific memory that was maybe had been passed down through the family. And that's one great thing about working in New Orleans is um, people have inherited wonderful things mm-hmm. and love, mm-hmm. still love antiques. And so, uh, yeah, we love mixing antiques Modern pieces, modern classics, um, lesser known modern pieces, but also just great upholstered furniture too that's comfortable and warm.
0: Let me ask you this. Okay. If you, since you're adding the furniture layouts to your drawings, does that help you like think through how they're going to live in the space? And, I mean, because you mentioned it helps helps the client understand how they're going to live in the space. But do you ever start laying out a room and think, oh, well, actually, we need to change this because oh, yeah, X, Y, Z. Oh yeah, all the
4: time. So the 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 furniture sketches that we do when we do the initial um, plan investigations are really mostly. Just to get them an idea of how the room works. I mean, if somebody sees a sofa in a family room in a certain place, they pretty much immediately know the TV is probably on the wall that faces that sofa. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it also gives them understanding of. I mean, it, it tells me right away the way they respond to that. Do they actually want to walk into a room seeing the TV? Some people would rather walk into a room seeing the people facing the TV. I mean, these are all right. important issues about how we live in our houses, and and that's my job is to yeah. is to make the house work for how people want to live and and are comfortable living and and uh so yeah from either the feedback that the client gives us from maybe the evolution of a design um because of the sun orientation or because of maybe a garden view that hadn't been considered we're we're it's very malleable for the first several months mm-hmm. uh, uh and as we get feedback mm. and whatnot
0: there was something else that I was very curious about um, reading about you and reading your book. and that was the historic preservation angle because you're a member of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. I know that interests you. You talked about that a lot. and um, but I feel like if someone were to look at your portfolio, they would say clean, contemporary. So how do those two, like I think most people would imagine those two things are at odds, right? contemporary design and, and historic buildings, architecture, but how do you blend them together?
4: That's another great question. Um, so I think this, I think this could be said for many cities that, that are older American cities. Uh, but in New Orleans, a lot of what we do is is renovation and adaptation of historic buildings to contemporary life. And by contemporary life, I don't mean style. I just mean for the way that we live today. So okay. we've done a lot of, we've renovated a lot of um, early 19th century houses in New Orleans, Greek Revival houses in the French Quarter, um, the Garden District, other parts of the city, uh, as well as, as Victorian houses. These houses were, were built often with large center halls or large side halls, uh, that were pretty much closed off from the adjacent parlors. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was because fireplaces, for instance, mm. were in the parlors and they wanted to keep the heat in the parlors and the rooms they were living in, but not waste the heat on the hallways, which were just circulation zones. Yeah. So the, the hallways were, for instance, this is just an example to answer your question, the, the hallways weren't open to the parlors, the way the parlors were to each other. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we do, for instance, is when we go into these houses now that we have central air and heat, we we want to figure out a way to to put in ductwork and mechanical systems without dropping ceilings mm-hmm. or in places that you wouldn't see that we drop ceilings. But we also almost always open the parlors up to the to these hallways whether it be the side hall or the central hall and the same way that the parlors are open to each other. But when we do it, we, so we're removing large parts of walls and doing that. But when we do it, we copy the millwork exactly that was used on the casings between the parlors. So there's a, there's a reverence for the extant architectural quality of the buildings and the details. But we're thinking about, the fact that we can do this now because we don't have to worry about um, the heating, ventilation, air conditioning. And in so doing, we the hallways benefit so much because they're gaining natural light from all the windows in those mm. parlors. They suddenly get flooded with light and vice versa, the parlors gain all this extra square footage that starts to feel like a part of those rooms. So it's a win-win for everybody, and I think Mm -hmm. it's a win-win for architectural history and tradition. Um yes, a lot of the the furnishings that we and the art that we come back with are often contemporary but or modern pieces, but and comfortable, hopefully, and much more comfortable, actually, than had we filled those rooms with period antiques. Mm-hmm. That's right. another thing. People want to be comfortable. Right. And, and this isn't anything new. I mean, there's been a tradition since the really the 60s, uh, 50s and 60s and 70s with, with uh, great decorators like Billy Baldwin, great decorator in New Orleans, um, now deceased, but Lucille Andrus. Uh, And in other cities, there were there have been decorators for a long time doing comfortable pieces of upholstered furniture. I think of Tony Hale in California, comfortable pieces of furniture with um, mixed in with beautiful French or English antiques and modern art. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see it again and again and again. David Mm -hmm. Hicks is another one. Right. Mm -hmm. So. um, So I don't think. What we're doing is necessarily inventive uh, or, or original. Let me say, I think it's inventive. I don't think it's original. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I think there are a lot of good decorators doing this, but but I do I do feel like we approach the projects very very architecturally um, from the very beginning, and hopefully, what we end up doing. Uh, Respects the past and, um, but also speaks to the present and how people live now.
2: I'm obsessed about a room that you've done (laughs) that I want to talk about, which has a lot to do with, as you say, the way people live now. And it's the kitchen, I believe, in Boxwoods. Mm -hmm. Is that the house
3: where you? Boxwood Court.
2: Let's just talk about that a minute because I'm in awe of this kitchen because you wouldn't know it's a kitchen. Um, At first glance, I don't believe. And uh, if I recall correctly, it was a family that had to do the house. Then you came back years later after the kids were off at school or whatever. And then the the parents, the couple that was there, still there, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, wanted that room to work differently for them to really be more of an entertaining space. Since everybody ends up in the kitchen anyway, I mean, that room is so elegant. It is totally usable, but still like, oh my gosh, a great party room. talk about it Karen's jealous (laughs) I am I so want it
4: I want it okay Karen full disclosure I'm an empty
2: nester now so this is what I want
4: full disclosure that house is for my brother and his wife (gasps) and it's um, and actually it was published in Gallery Magazine your autumn before last and, um, and I wrote the uh, I wrote that Peggy Russell was, or Margaret Russell was then the editor, was the then editor. And she asked me to write the article. And uh, it was fun to write about my brother and his wife. And, and my brother's wife, Dee, had, uh, this had been her, the house that her mother grew up in. And it's a, just a charming, charming English cottage style house, probably built in the 20s in Monroe with a massive live oak in the front. But anyway, John, my brother, and his wife uh, uh, purchased the house from her two sisters who live in Texas. And... Uh, and they did their first renovation in the 80s. They asked me to do it, but I had just started working for a firm in New York. And honestly, I didn't have the time or, or really the experience to do a, a renovation in addition to a house like that. Years later, after I'd moved to New Orleans, actually right when I moved to New Orleans, they asked me to do a sizable renovation of it. Anyway, this project grew. As the project grew, they had children. Their children grew up in the house. But my brother, who had avidly collected baseball paraphernalia, and I'm talking seriously, collected baseball paraphernalia. Okay, um,
0: I saw that room, and I was like, maybe the owner was like a baseball player, right? Yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh,
4: he actually he he was he was a great athlete. He was never a baseball player. He was a basketball player and a, and a, a track runner and a tennis player. But anyway, there was one of the pieces in that collection was. Um, was a limited edition Andy Warhol print of Babe Ruth. And it had been commissioned by, I believe the Cincinnati Museum of Art um, to raise money for the museum. And uh, I hope I got that right. <laughs> um, but my brother who had studied um, history of modern art while he was at SMU uh, as an undergrad, really just became more and more interested in in modern art. And they have built a really quite wonderful collection, uh, national collection. And and so there was an interest in uh, making the house adapt to both that collection, the fact that they were becoming empty nesters, mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of things. They also became very interested in, as they became interested in art, they became interested in, I guess what I would call a kind of a more sophisticated palette of furniture and important designers through history. And So this was all right up my alley. (laughs) I'm in. Um, I'm in, yeah. So when we did the addition in the 90s, we we turned the house, we basically changed the house from essentially a rectangular box into an L. And again, we worked with uh, Sawyer Burson of New York, Brian Sawyer, who did the landscape architecture for the um, first phase of the sculpture garden. We worked with Brian on the gardens for this house. Um, And... And then in 2006, we renovated another space. Uh, we actually dropped a grand vaulted ceiling that had originally been an attic that had been converted into a, quote, great hall. I think they called those rooms in the 80s. Um, <laughs> and But it had been done very simply. And and I didn't think they were getting a lot of benefit of all this extra space. We actually dropped the ceilings in that room. Uh, they were still... Ten and a half feet, mm-hmm. but we did coffered ceilings that, that hid the art lighting, and so we did it in mm-hmm. a way that worked really well yeah. for the art collection. So when you look in the room, coming to the room obliquely, you're not seeing a lot of recessed lights because they're being hidden by all the millwork in the ceiling, the coffered uh-huh. ceilings.
0: Right. So the lighting was in the like
4: up in the top, the top of, the, of okay. the coffers, yeah, in the in the yeah, in the sheetrock, really and uh, and that's a great way to 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 light a room because uh, I don't like looking at. Uh, Swiss cheese ceilings, as much as anyone else. So, right. but anyway, to your, Karen, to your original question. My sister-in-law at this point, who had been a cook. I mean, she she loved to cook when she was younger. She really, she really wanted to to travel and to work in her garden. She's a big gardener, and um, and also as the house had grown, the location of the kitchen really was in the center of the house, mm-hmm. and the house has these kind of three major branches off of that room, and she was just tired of it looking like a kitchen. Mm -hmm. And as the rest of the house became sleeker and sleeker and more about the art, she wanted the kitchen to look like that as well. And she couldn't, she couldn't pinpoint exactly how she wanted it done or she was pulling out pictures. But anyway, we came up with this idea about completely hiding all the appliances. I mean, you can't really hide a sink, but kind of in the tradition of some of the European kitchen kitchens that you see, but we did it with, um, we did it with uh, English oak that we then had serused, which is where the uh, white pigment or off-white pigment in this case gets gets rubbed into the depth of the grain. And um, so we made it feel kind of clubby. The, using the antique English oak was, um, even though we did it in a, a kind of a French 30s modern way that you might see with Jean-Michel Frank, it was still, the material itself was still a reference to the... English cottage aspect of the house. Mm -hmm. The lead windows are still in this house and this room is wrapped with lead windows. And so it became kind of like a garden room. We put a, we put a, um, a gray slate looking stone countertop, but it's actually Basaltina. It's an Italian, stone uh looks a little bit like soapstone but it's much uh it's it's much easier to work with and uh requires less maintenance anyway we did a again that spoke to the original house architecture of the house and yeah we made this room that feels more like a sitting room than a kitchen and uh it still functions as a kitchen like they threw a really nice party for me when my book launched in my hometown and uh but they were able to for instance to to just do a kind of dessert setup on that on that on island, island. Uh-huh. and people were still sitting at the island on the bar stools that um, we upholstered in a silk <laughs> velvet <laughs> because yes. um, that, that, that pulled out daring. some of the it pulled, pulled out some of the colors from the um, antique rug that's in that room, and so I don't know. Uh, uh, it's a, it's actually one of my favorite rooms in the in the book.
2: Love it, and yeah. it yeah, functions beautiful. really well. So you're telling me it works. Because I'm trying to kind of rethink, as I, as I sit in on these podcasts for the last two years <laughs> or whatever, I'm really trying to open my mind about the rooms in my house and how I use them and how they function and what's in them, you know, and why is it in it? I mean, does this help my room? Does it make, I mean, what's going on in here? And so things like that that challenge me, I really appreciate. So I want to know, does it work? is does it really function well as a room every day?
4: Well, you would have to ask her, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um... All signs are that it does. All right. yeah, I, think, she, all I right. think she's very happy. But you know, it's funny when you were just saying. But what they thing. would she
0: tell you? Would you? Would your sister-in-law tell you if it wasn't functioning?
4: I think she would. She probably oh, would actually. On. Yeah, I, I actually, would tell She my was also my. um She was my girlfriend in the sixth grade. So, oh, um, <laughs> love so, I think she would tell me. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so Karen, here's a question: when you were when you were talking about um, the way that you're rethinking your house, do you ever think um not only what's in the rooms, but do I need this room? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to
0: chop up the whole top floor. Don't need that. Yeah, yeah. You have hardly finished the renovation of your second floor. Like, does that not make you really mad? Yes,
2: I find it quite irritating.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Are you a serial renovator?
2: Yeah, Yeah, I didn't think I was, but I I, I think I might be. No, you know what? I think what has happened in my life is that as I'm going through these different stages, I needed so many bedrooms when I had two kids at home. And we do have quite a few guests, so we needed a guest room. But now... Both kids are, you know, gone almost. One's leaving for college, going to Tulane in the fall.
4: Oh. Yeah. Which I'm, is, I'm literally a block away. See?
2: I want to talk about that, too. We'll so do when that when you line. bring
4: her to town. <laughs> it's a boy. When you bring him to town.
2: Architecture school.
4: Oh, my gosh
2: wait yeah. he's going to architecture school yeah i didn't know that um, yes. I, you know what That's i'm getting at awesome.
4: this I'm, I'm getting a new house sitter for when i travel oh
2: he's good at it <laughs> he's
3: responsible too
2: he is responsible but you can give me hotel tips and stuff we can talk about that later um i had that on my list oh, you three did? things you need to do in new orleans we'll okay see sorry keep going um but as life changes and your needs change you know what's the way your house is configured can change as well. Not just, Oh, the kids are gone now. I can get a new sofa. That's not going to be as dirty, but you know, really what are we going to do in the room and how do we, do, or the, you know, do we even need the room? I really don't want to sell my house cause I like the location and stuff, but I just don't need it all.
4: I know Tell I, my
2: husband will move in the basement and just Airbnb the whole house out. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Does your neighborhood allow it? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think, me. I don't know. we're in a house that's, that's there are two of us in, in a house that's was built for seven children. Well, well you had,
2: don't you have but, two homes there? Yeah. I feel like, okay, are well, you no, talking no, no. about there, the more there, modern there one? There are two
4: homes in the book Okay, but we. So no, I don't own two homes anymore. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but the yeah, there are two homes, two of, uh, of our own houses are in the book There's a house from the, um actually the 1850s in the French Quarter, and that's project called Du Street. And then there's our current house, which was built in 1963
3: it started with six bedrooms it. right and it's
4: actually speaking of the national trust this house is the national trust is separate but and but speaking of preservation I mentioned preservation it's actually on the national register of historic places and it
2: was the first modern house right
3: or something Wasn't like the
4: that first modern house it was the first modern house in the city of new orleans to be on the national register yeah. and it's i think because of the architectural quality of the house which is extraordinary i didn't do it <laughs> but uh the the it was also the architect that did it was nathaniel buster curtis who was a very important modernist architect in New Orleans, along with his partner um, Curtis Davis, uh, Arthur Davis. I'm sorry, the, the firm was Curtis and Davis, but they designed the Superdome, but they also designed the mm. the the American Embassy in Saigon, the site of the oh, airlift. Wow. Uh, um, the free hospital in Berlin, which was when it was built, was the largest hospital in the world. So, I mean, they were, they, they were yeah. fun. They did products all over the world. I,
0: I feel like everyone needs to read your article that you wrote for Architectural Digest because I loved it. And we can get to it more. You finished talking about house, no, but I, no. I feel like we need to get back to it because you talk about your love of New Orleans in it, which I, I loved reading that part especially because it sort of went back to this push and pull between contemporary and um and historic because obviously New Orleans is a historic city. I mm-hmm. mean, it is known for its architecture and art and culture, you know, and I feel like anyone that's gone to New Orleans like you think that beautiful ironwork and French you know, all of that. And then the, um, firms that you worked for in New York were very, you know, contemporary clean. And so I've just found it really interesting, um, that you felt like you said you felt like new Orleans was drawing you home and you just saw yourself there permanently. So what was it about new Orleans that made you feel like that was your city?
4: Well, I grew up in North Louisiana and, uh, it was Protestant largely. And, it was also, uh, from a climate standpoint, it was pretty temperate. And New Orleans, I grew up going down to visit my my first cousins and my grandparents in New Orleans, which is where my mother grew up. And New Orleans is Catholic, and it's also subtropical. Mm. And even as a little boy, I just sensed the difference immediately. I mean, New Orleans was, as I actually say in that article, it was just green and mm-hmm. it was dense, and there was age and history, and, and even as a child I could see that, and I don't think that was special, I think any kid probably the, who looks at things would have, and, um, and just spatially it was different, Monroe, which where I grew up the houses were, you know, basically there were some beautiful old homes, but for the most part the houses were horizontal, kind of ranch houses on big lots, and they, there were nice trees and all that, but um, New Orleans, as you know, is landlocked and so mm-hmm. it's there's a density and a verticality to the architecture there um because big houses were built on small lots and small ho- houses were built on small lots but everything's Wait, you mean close when together. Monroe
0: was landlocked
4: no new orleans is landlocked i mean new orleans has water oh. to the north south east and west so that's why the city that's why the city is so dark the houses are so close together monroe is wide open and um and houses were built on former cotton fields.
0: And oh, I see what you're saying by landlocked. I was thinking landlocked like not near water. What am I thinking of? I don't know. Never well maybe mind. I'm
4: using the wrong word, but um
0: But like it's there's a limited space. It's actually kind of
4: waterlocked, saying? truly, because it's um it's surrounded by water. But yeah, yeah, there's limited space to build on. And actually, um New Orleans, which was was a much smaller footprint because there was space that probably shouldn't have been built on, which right. is what flooded in Katrina. Uh, right. There was a lot of low-level area that historically wouldn't, you know, they were, they knew better than to build on it, but they didn't have the pump systems, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, had, I had grown up visiting New Orleans my entire childhood, and had always loved it, and had a real just kind of emotional connection to it. Um, I lived in New York for a long time, right out of college, and then back after grad school, and uh, I loved the architectural diversity, quality, and texture of New York City, Mm -hmm. but I am a Southerner. I mean, Mm -hmm. I knew that I wasn't gonna stay in New York forever. And um, just to correct one thing you said, the last firm I worked for was Robert A.M. Stern, who's not a modernist. And Mm -hmm. um, at Stern's office, I mean, we did, we did um, incredible historicist homes, all around the country and not only homes, but, you know, buildings as well. And, and, and Stern's office had Bob Stern's office has the heart of the office is this vast architectural library. And when we were assigned a project in a particular region, Bob would immediately tell me or whoever was working on that project, go, go pull out the books on, uh, southern california you know I wanna, that's I wanna, smart you know, yeah and it was a great finishing school if you yeah. will i don't mean that in a pejorative way at all it was a fantastic finishing school for what was it what i mean i had to do, i had to, i was fortunate to have a great architectural education and it was a great finishing school for that because in architecture school there just simply aren't the there's simply not the time to teach students about about uh regionalism mm. you know, basically great american regionalists uh, like yeah. Schutze here, or John Staub in Houston, or Harry T. Lindenberg on the East Coast, or these great architects who are practicing. Who you know, you, you in, in, in architectural school, you you learn about Le Corbusier and Frank Wright and Mies van der Rohe mm-hmm. and 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 people that are practicing today that are doing extraordinary work. But you really don't learn about these these quieter, mm-hmm. equally great but lesser known regionalist architects, and so. Um, Bob Stern's office to this day has an extraordinary library, and he encouraged all of us to build those kind of libraries ourselves. Yeah. And in our practice, my office is—we have a library at the heart of our office. I wish I could say it was anything <laughs> like his, but—but but, um, anyway. Uh,
2: do you divide it up regionally? How do you organize your library? Because as you were saying that, I'm like, how did they know who was in Southern California? Our True.
4: library is divided up regionally, uh-huh. actually. Um, well, the architectural monographs are, are, are in our library are, are alphabetical. But then our library, we have regional. We have a whole regional section, but just different parts of the from the United States then to the world. Uh-huh. And then we have a whole section on building types, like on libraries on or civic buildings uh-huh. versus museums, art galleries, homes, blah, right. blah, blah. Then we have a, a section on styles, like Greek revival, um, uh, whatever, right. And then we start getting into a section on interior design and regions and, and then types of furniture. And then we eventually get to um, to interior designer monographs. I talked about architecture monographs earlier, interior designer monographs. And finally, uh, landscape, a whole section on landscape and gardens.
2: Where would you put your book?
4: That is <laughs> an incredibly good question. OK, so and I can answer You need like it.
2: eight copies so you can no, 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 no,
4: I can answer it. My book is the one <laughs> on the coffee table in the way, in the, in, in this library.
2: That's right. <laughs>
0: That's smart. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about, well, hold on. Did we answer your question,
2: Karen? What was it? About um, <laughs> addressing whether you need rooms, how do you I mean, I just don't even know if there's an answer. You know what I mean? I think people have, I mean, you can say there is, but I think people Needed to stop being so tied to what they assume should go in a room.
4: Well, first of all, there's no right and wrong. I think it should be about how how you're comfortable and how you love, or how you, or maybe, or maybe you have some fantasy that you've never like lived out. Yeah, like, like mm-hmm. you know, we all do, right? So let that. Okay, so here's one. Here's one. <laughs> I was just in New York. I came from New York to to here, and I was shopping for a client, and I saw this extraordinary fireplace mantle that I was really hoping an Atlanta client that I'm working with would purchase because <laughs> I think it's perfect for the room. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, not everybody realizes how great my, judgments, my judgment calls are. In, <laughs> Listen in, in, to me. In, in, in this case, my client, who I hope will hear this someday. And, um, but I fell in love with this mantle to such a degree that I started fantasizing about designing my Retirement house, my last house, my small house, my small perfect house, mm-hmm. which is what I want. I want <laughs> your, to. Your... I want to live in a house with a big room, a bedroom off of it, a library off of it, and a kitchen. That's 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 my house. And the library will have a fold-out sofa bed. For so that's for the, your guests. For the guests. I was
2: going to ask. Are you going to accommodate guests? Only
4: on the. Only on the. Tempur-Pedic
3: mattress, which
4: which, which I can off. do uh, a Tempur-Pedic mattress on a sofa, but now I've done it once, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's out uh, of
2: desperation, houseguests. But like, it's also right, you're overserved. Like, you can I sleep know, so I just
4: find that I spend so much of my time coordinating. Who's going to come in to clip the hedges? Are myself watering the annuals that don't have irrigation in New Orleans? You know, if you don't, if you miss a day, your caladiums are dead. dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, we uh-huh. have two fountains at our house, so like thinking about it, I, don't, I feel like I spend so much time on things that I don't need to be spending time on, and that's why I asked you immediately. And are there rooms that you that you wish you didn't have? Definitely. So I think we should all at least half of them. I, I think we should be taking chances and. And and moving into smaller houses. It's also, frankly, in this age of sustainability and thinking about the environment, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Oh, Um, yeah. So anyway, that that's my challenge to myself (laughs) mostly. But but the thing that got me thinking about it again was seeing this mantle and then in my head designing this little house around this one beautiful piece. It's Italian from it's a it's Greco Italian from 1810. Did you buy it? Well, I don't know what I don't know the price on yet. I'm going to get the price
3: today. Uh-huh. and then I'm going to that have to. And then I'm going have to, the And then I'm going to have to basically
4: butter my husband up, who has an MBA, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the careful one. I'm going to have to like butter him up slowly uh, into understanding why. for our
2: retirement house, <laughs> and I can say,
4: look, the house is half the size; it's going to be less than half the size of our current house. So, what we we can have this amazing mantle.
0: Mm-hmm. How many homes have you designed for yourself that you've never built?
4: None. No. I've never designed a house for myself.
2: Not even like
4: Oh in my even, head. Sure. Yeah, in your head, that's what I mean. Like it's, not
2: it's, multitude. Yeah. It's the
4: best way you're dealing with insomnia. <laughs> it really is. Just start fantasizing about this and just drawing it in in your head. And yeah. I mean, don't you ever find that with like if you're thinking about a room or what to get just rid of in a room, Karen, like just what yeah, just start and it eventually puts sure. me to sleep. Which <laughs> so maybe which maybe means that my my houses aren't very good. <laughs>
3: You're at peace with them.
2: (laughs) So the house that you have, that you live in now, it's modern feeling. Would you keep that vibe in your final home or would you go a different direction?
4: So here's the thing. I, I, I'm very (laughs) ecumenical when it comes to design. I'm as happy to work on a. Traditional house as I am on a modern house, and what I ideally really love is to find the sweet spot in between the two. Mm-hmm. I love houses that straddle the line between uh, historicism and modernism, so that it's 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 just historic historical enough that you under that you immediately get the the architectural reference or the antecedent of the house. Mm-hmm. But it's modern enough that it's of this day and can be less expensively constructed. I mean, if somebody came to me and really wanted me to design a traditional house, I would do it if they had an extraordinary budget. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing worse than
3: mm-hmm.
4: than traditional houses built cheaply. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. we all know that. And so why not? why not try to find the balance between something that's that references a certain style that you like or a certain period, but that also challenges challenges you about the way you live, right. yeah. uh, and that makes more sense for modern systems and um, and and modern materials.
0: Let me ask you about open concepts. Do you love them? Do you hate them?
2: He only wants one room in his dream home. I know, but That's but then you said concept. a separate
0: bedroom. And well I mean duh. But and then like a kitchen, I don't know. I feel like I feel like a lot of our guests recently have been about separate rooms. Like they're kind of maybe frustrated
2: with the open concept. I feel like I've seen in your work open concept, but the kitchen is aside. It's not like, you know what I mean? I don't want it in the dining room. Get it away. I don't know. Talk it out. I'm
0: not saying there's right or wrong. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. There
2: is a wrong.
3: No, just kidding. <laughs> there are lots of wrongs and I lots of I was waiting rights. to hear what it was. Yeah, I don't
4: know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I personally am attracted to a more open plan mm-hmm. because I love space. And I think there's a real luxury to a, a sense of space and lots of natural light washing across a great space. I just there's a luxury of space to me. And vo- not only not only horizontal space, not only plan but volume, height, height mm-hmm. too. <laughs> High ceilings in a big room. Um I've spent day before yesterday almost 4 hours at the Frick in New York and I hadn't been in years. And so those are individual discrete rooms, mm-hmm. right? I mean it's a neoclassical floor plan. Right. But it's it's the spaces are vast, yeah. you know, not all of them, but many of them are vast. And, and I just want one, like I said, I just want one great room and then a place to sleep. I don't want to sleep in my great room because <laughs> I don't want to have to make the bed.
0: Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Close um, away then. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And I also want the room that, that uh, when, when you have a big party, everybody can throw their coat and their handbag. Mm. I really Don't like when all that stuff like accumulates in my living room. Oh yeah, Um,
3: yeah, and
4: that seems to happen a lot. And Mm -hmm. so I know um, there's no right and wrong. I I personally like an open space, but I don't I don't I don't impose this stuff on my clients. Everybody everybody lives differently, and and that's my job is to is to make something great out of uh, you know for for how how a person or family wants to live.
2: The house that you built on the bayou, that small little house, what's the name of it? Who knows? You know.
4: Um, it's called um, Bayou Bonfica.
2: Okay. As I was reading your book, mm-hmm. every single person that walked into my office, I'm like, oh my God, look at this. Look at this house. This is my dream house. It's tiny. I mean, 20, 2,500 square feet?
3: Roughly. I mean, I that wouldn't say that's tiny. tiny,
2: but it's one room, two bedrooms, and a kitchen. And, you know, with that exaggerated kind of roof line, oh my gosh, dreamy, so simple, really yeah. so simple, so beautiful, not a ton of stuff even in it. But I mean, it knocked me out.
4: Yeah. So the great thing about that house is it was our first house from the ground up and page rents put it into architectural digest. So I was like, oh, uh,
3: yeah, OK, well, <laughs> this, this, is easy. Is, this is easy. Yeah.
4: Right. Um, the sad thing about that it was it was my first house and it's still everybody's favorite house
3: <laughs> <laughs> i hated it
4: <laughs> um probably
2: just it's so it, unique i think
4: uh no i love that house too and actually when i was describing my house in my head it's it's not that house architecturally it's not as there's not as much in my mind about my final house my final, <laughs> house, my final resting place <laughs> no it's um, there's not as much architect that house has a lot of architecture There are pilasters and i mean it's simple and i think that house straddles a line between being contemporary and 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 traditional Mm -hmm. uh and i love the way it does that but there's you know there are pilasters really beautifully built and constructed pilasters on the on the exterior uh there's shutters that big huge painted shutters that sit flush into the wall and there's a grand grand porch on the back with massive brick columns and there is architecture there's a lot of it but um i don't see my but i don't see my my home as being that grand in a way because that house does have a lot of grandeur for being a small house but um I love the plan of that house, just the big room in the middle. And mm-hmm. and actually, when you said the two bedrooms, one of those bedrooms has since been turned into a kind of a TV room library. Oh, okay. So it so is like literally exactly, the, those are exactly the rooms I want. Yeah, yeah. So a little <laughs>
2: cozier space to hang out yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I loved it. And then the, the pool that was fed by a spring, I showed that to my husband because that's totally <laughs> the kind of thing he would want. He was like, oh, that's really neat. A natural spring. I can't. Which is
4: pretty cold by the way. I wouldn't spring. like it. Yeah. <laughs> but it stays the same temperature all year long. So it's, it's, it feels refreshing and uh, warm in the winter. But mm-hmm. in the summer, it's a it's it's colder than probably most people would want.
2: Yeah.
0: Let me ask you a question.
2: That's why you're here.
0: I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to preface the question of the question. But um, say someone out there is interested in building a home from the ground up. They have a limited budget. Maybe they don't necessarily think they need an architect. What do you say to that?
2: expensive mistakes will ensue that's what i say
4: (laughs) well you know i have a i have a professional bias (laughs) right
2: that's what i'm asking
4: (laughs) so um obviously i think they need an architect but um what i tell folks all the time that can't afford to do what they see in my book or they see Mm -hmm. in my portfolio and and when I say my, by the way, I want to say also that I have an amazing group of folks behind me. It's not just me by any means. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really fortunate to, to have a great group of architects and designers, but what we try to do is, is encourage them to build, to build less mm. and, um, to build good, but build less. It's kind of my goal, I guess, as I've already said, and and I think it's becoming Karen's goal, too. <laughs> it's totally my goal. <laughs> but uh, there there are efficiencies to be gained by working with with a good architect. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I think the plan is going to be more efficient. I think it's going to be more flexible. I think another thing is you could always – uh house can be designed in a way that it can be phased. Mm. Uh, if you decide you need more, yeah, just, you know – make sure that the infrastructure is there we do that with attics all the time we um we make sure that the air conditioning systems that are put in can handle an attic space should that ever be built out
3: yeah i i
4: I often try to talk people out of square footage it's uh um and i even do it with potential clients all the time probably lose jobs that way but (laughs) I,
2: they're going to be happier in the
4: long run. Well, and especially if there's, it's, you know, especially if there's a budget they're working with. I mean, right. which there is with most people. I mean, I would think so. Even yeah. if that
0: budget seems outrageous <laughs> to maybe a regular person, it's still budget. Something that happens to us you know, a lot
4: is we have people coming to us a lot where who have been told by other architects, but most most typically uh, contractors, oh, you mm-hmm. can build for such and such a square foot, and it's and it's absolutely not true. I mm-hmm. mean, you can yes, you can build, but but. Is it going material- to be the quality you want? Yeah, it's, with the uh, materials not yeah. good. And, right. mm-hmm. and so um, we try to help them with those expectations, but but also encourage them to, like I said, just build more efficiently. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'd rather have something smaller and nicer. Oh,
4: you know, absolutely. Think of your yeah.
2: engagement ring, right? Wouldn't you like a better quality diamond than a giant one that's like milk? <laughs>
4: that's a great analogy
0: (laughs) I mean yeah well and you know we've we had we have actually had um, we had um, Andrew Kogar of historical concepts here and he actually said the same thing which is just like stop really worrying about the number of square feet and focus on good design and good materials and thoughtful spaces I'll tell you something I'll something.
4: I'll tell you something else it is much 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 more difficult for an architect or interior decorator to design something small and perfect than to design something large
3: Mm.
4: and it's um i've said this before and i don't know i can't remember where i heard it but it's i think such a good analogy it's more difficult to write i'm not a writer but i've heard it said that it's Mm. more difficult to write a short story than a novel but more difficult still to write a poem And it's yeah. because everything is seen in a small house, everything, yeah. and so everything has to be just, just right. Whether it's the, the 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 ratio of the ceiling height to the width of a room, which is the classical Palladian idea mm-hmm. of great proportion, uh, the scale of emplacement of the doors, uh, and then and then ultimately the size of the pieces that are in a room you can't you you just you you see every mistake right and and likewise you see all the all the good things too so it really needs to be good and it's a it's just it's a lot it's a lot more difficult and a lot more challenging but it's a challenge that i love
2: yeah i think you might be good at it
4: (laughs) getting better every day you got
2: my vote I love the book. Yes. It, Everybody go buy it's gorgeous. one. Yes. Right now. We will
0: put links From to your local it in book the
2: bookstore. Or if you have to Amazon. Yes.
0: <laughs> I think this is the perfect time to do a decorating dilemma.
2: Will you help us solve someone's problem? I can try. Okay.
0: This one's from April, and she says, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time and enjoy learning about decorating. I'm redoing a family room, and I finally purchased my first Ballard Design pieces. Yay. Yay. I love my Ballard Design sofa, which looks like an Eaton sofa, rug, and coffee table. I need new ideas on what final additional items to add to this room. I know I need a table between the sofas, should it be round or square, and some lighting, floor lamps. I have recessed lights in the ceiling. Thank you for your advice, April.
2: I wanna describe her room. It's nice and sunny. She has a Marquesa rug, which is gray and has some sort of camel ecot design on it. Um, and then she has, a, it's a rectangle. There's a TV on one wall with a media console under it and, and facing that is a, tel, uh, is a sofa. And then uh, perpendicular to the sofa is a loveseat. They look like they're the same style, maybe. Um, no side tables between them. There's a square coffee table in the middle and then a chair with an ottoman down at the other end of the sofa all right, she needs to zhuzh this up. What does she need, Lee?
4: Well, having just been at the Frick, right. <laughs> actually, I did notice something at the Frick, which I thought was really interesting. The living room at the Frick is still, is apparently the room that's the most accurately, is furnished most accurately to how it was when um, the, when Mr. Frick lived there for five years before he, right, he finished it, before he died, which is amazing. But <laughs> there was something that caught me uh, that are that is the, the tables on either side that there was a pair of tables on either side of the grand sofa and when I do side tables or end tables for sofas I generally I don't, I don't know why but I generally want them to kind of align with the arm height the height of these tables align with the arm of the sofa uh-huh. or sometimes mm-hmm. even the seat cushion of the sofa and I noticed in Mr. Frick's living room that um the he had these, these round tables and you saw the sofa that were much, much taller than the sofa and they were large. So they were very commodious. I mean, you could get uh-huh. a lot of stuff on those tables. And when I look at this room, uh, April's room, I see in the corner a tall round table because then you can b- do a beautiful lamp on the table that will get a lot of height and start to fill in that corner uh-huh. of the room and so you don't have to do a floor lamp. I think floor lamps are really difficult. Uh, and I don't know that they really generally put out a lot of light. Uh, so I would do, I would try to find a tall table, maybe a kind of a, um, like an English reproduction antique. I'd like to see something kind of old in this room, something with mm-hmm. some some age or that appears to have age. Because mm-hmm. everything's, so, everything's upholstered except for the, the, the piece under the TV. And then a lamp um, so you can get some... Uh, some some warm light through the shade and finally i would i think that lamp should have some color the other thing i would do is there's no art in this room unless mm-hmm. it's in a view that we can't see but i would start to reinforce i love the fact that this you've got this uh this tripartite or three section window right Perfectly centered at the end of the room. Tripartite. It really really captures your... It's a good word. It really captures your eye and leads you outside. I would love to see that reinforced with a pair of... um, A pair or even maybe four, um, but two matching pairs stacked vertically, pieces of art or prints or something on both sides of that window. But something that's vertical. So maybe a pair of prints on one side that's matched by a pair of prints on the other. And you you can find you know, inexpensive botanicals. Again, I would try mm-hmm. to get some color there, but um, I would love to see that the, the window, the centered window reinforced and also some verticality brought into the space. Mm-hmm.
0: What about pattern drapes?
4: Well, I think curtains would be great in this room. Actually, mm-hmm. I, um, I didn't say it cause I was trying to respect a budget, but um, yeah, I think uh, curtains would also be great and, and they would Curt- One thing that curtains do is they always increase the sense of height of the room. They mm-hmm. always make the room feel a lot, a lot higher than it is. And uh, I don't know what your ceiling heights are here, but uh, I would most likely, uh, if you did decide to do curtains, you could even keep the blinds behind the curtains, the existing blinds. But I would, yeah. I would mount the curtains up, probably right under the crown molding, and not at the top of the windows.
2: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea about that big round table because yeah. she does have a lot of room back there.
4: Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of room. And it it feels a like a little empty. power
2: statement. I feel like yeah. something strong. Yeah. yeah. That's a great idea. And you definitely need something at the other end of the sofa too.
0: She has like – I feel like the view outside of her windows is so green and pretty. It looks kind of like she's maybe on some – this like big property around her. So I feel like, you know, maybe like some chartreuse or some color that like was – outside you know to like kind of unite those two spaces
4: and that's a color that looks great with uh, with anything I mean it looks great with gray it looks it looks great with the 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 color blue in the in the pillows that are on the sofa it's chartreuse is a really interesting color because um, I I used to work with a decorator named Susan Boyd who had worked for Holden and Dupuy for years and Susan's extraordinarily talented decorator in New Orleans and um, Susan once said chartreuse is 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 the only vivid color that works also as a neutral and there's really something interesting. to interesting. Yeah. Um, it, and I, I, it made sense to me.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I think love it.
4: given this sort of neutral palette with the hints of blue, I think chartreuse is a great idea.
2: Pretty All right, well, good luck April. Yeah. We want to see after photos. So send them to us. Yes. We never get enough after photos. I got to say, we want to see the pretty end product. Mm-hmm and because also that
0: means that we helped and that's good right makes (laughs) us feel good (laughs) all right lee thank you so much we really appreciate you coming by tell everyone where they can find you buy your book look at your work instagram visit your work maybe in person
4: my instagram is at lee ledbetter
0: and your website is lee Lee
4: ledbetter.com
0: and maybe they should go visit New Orleans Absolutely. and check out your sculpture garden. Yeah. Your sculpture garden, right?
4: My sculpture garden. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the, the sculpture, sculpture garden. garden at the New Orleans Museum of Art is free. Wow. And uh, every day of the week and okay. open to the public, no, there's no admission fee. And that was that was a mandate of the best offs from the very beginning. It's incredibly generous.
3: Wow.
0: Okay. This is a question I didn't get asked, but I feel like it's a perfect sign off. What are the three things that we need to do in New Orleans? Well, when we covered we go visit? the first
4: one. The sculpture right. garden okay. and I say that honestly not because I worked on it but because <laughs> it is the collection is extraordinary uh, the site is really special you can visit sculpture gardens in the United States and you rarely see um, sculpture gardens of this quality in in this setting um, absolutely walk around the French Quarter and when I say the French Quarter I don't mean Bourbon Street I mean if you've <laughs> never done it just do it but allow yourself five minutes, 10 minutes, just pick one block of it and you'll get this. Walk around what we call the lower quarter, which is the end of the quarter away from downtown that gets close to um, Esplanade Avenue. It's quiet. The houses are beautiful. You can peer through garden walls Mm -hmm. uh, or even carriageways and see lush gardens through the openings of buildings and there's really nothing quite like it, and uh, in, there's, there is actually nothing like it in the United States. It it feels very very Caribbean, uh, and so, sculpture garden, the um, the French Quarter, and then finally, I think uh, take a little bit of time and um, and go see the Garden District. Uh, okay. It's become a go to place. You're going to see um, busloads of people walking around, but. It's a very different period of architecture. It's the early 19th century. It's it's one of the greatest um, collections of Greek Revival architecture in a in one in one space in the United States.
2: All right, there you go.
4: And definitely eat.
2: Yeah, eat a lot. <laughs> eat a lot. I think that's the only reason Jacob's going to New Orleans is for the food. Better well, that probably than the hurricane. I was going to say the Bur- Bourbon Street. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. He'll be studying all the time.
0: All right, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can leave us a review in your podcast app. Check out the show notes for this episode at how slash podcast. We'll link to your house and architectural digest, your book, um the sculpture garden, all everything that we've talked about. Yeah, all your projects and everything. And of course, follow us on social media at Ballard Designs and send your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. We'll answer it on a future episode. And until next time. Happy decorating!